1: Welcome, folks, once again to the Keeping Carlson Presents Short Shifts program. My name is Ben Burnett. I am your host and joined, as always, my pal and yours, Lewis Ezekiel. Lewis, how's it going, buddy? Oh, it's uh, going as well as
0: it can be when I'm up against uh, Connor McDavid and his two goals and two
1: assists in the first period. So I'm sweating a little bit here, but I think it'll turn out all right. I am very sorry to hear that, bud. That is not what I what you want to hear when he starts with a four-point period. We have a lot to get to, Louis. Let's jump right into it. Once again, Ben Burnett, Louis, Ezekiel, we are from Average Time on Ice, a web blog that we started with our pal, Jade Batine And uh, Brian and Elon sort of invited us into the fold to host a by, or a twice weekly show, a tweakly show, if you will, on Keeping Carlson. So that's what this is short shifts. We appreciate you joining us for our second episode. Before we get into the meat of the analysis, we have um, a little bit of a catching up to do. And so, what I want to do is to describe the process of a Philly Heat. Lewis, I'm going to get you on the clock. You're going to start with your Philly Heat while I describe what it is to our listeners. So you go right ahead. Starting now, starting last year on our on our page, average time on ice at avg time on ice on Twitter, we invented a, a rule for when our favorite player ah. <laughs> Lewis is already finished. So I'm going to get him to take over from here. Lewis, you go right ahead. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do here. So uh, when our guy, Philip Heedle,
0: pots a goal, uh, Jade wanted to come up with an idea for um, a drinking game we could play, a celebration uh, for Philly Heat's great success. Uh, So he's been having a nice little start to the season and a very nice game this evening. We're recording this here on Thursday night. The process that uh, she came up with is uh, you microwave a beer for 30 seconds and then slam it home. We have six that we have to make up this evening, so uh, we have both just finished our first one and are looking forward to uh, several more throughout the course of our show here tonight.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest, Lewis. When we went into the recording tonight, we had planned to catch up on these because as a brand, I think it's important that we stick to our guns and that we we do respect the Philly Heat rule of chugging one beer every time Philip Heedle scores a goal. But I did not expect him to score two more goals tonight and put us both on the hook for three Philly heats each. It should be an interesting show. I hope we get to the end of it without getting too sloppy. And what I'm really looking forward to is Jade picking up the slack and doing the next six.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, And she's
1: finding out about that uh, just as she is listening to this show, hopefully on Friday morning. Excellent. So, Lewis, let's get right into it. We're going to start with headlines, as we always plan to. And, of course, the number one headline in fantasy hockey, John Gabriel Page. How is he doing this? So, of course, JGP, through 17 games, the Sens' leading scorer has 11 goals and 14 points for a 68-point pace. But he's doing it with 14 even strength minutes per night and only 23 seconds of average power play time on ice. So with those 14 points, he has zero power play points so far this season. Lewis, my question for you, is this 53-goal pace going to continue for Jean-Gabriel Pajot? Listen, I think you know my answer to this question.
0: But before we uh, throw a little bit of a wet blanket here on G. G. Pej, oh, my God, he is going bananas. Uh, I just want to, you know, bask for a moment in his great success here. I actually picked him up as a third choice uh two of my other fab bids got knocked out and I ended up with Pejo, I couldn't be happier. His 66% IPP is a bit low. He probably could improve a little bit here in his assist rate compared to his career average. Uh, And there are some positive signs. He's putting up the highest even strength shots per 60 of his career at 9.24. And it seems like he's getting down into the high percentage dirty parts of the ice a little bit more than before as well. Because his 12.79 high danger chances per 60, uh, and he's gotten 3.55 high danger goals per 60. So, obviously, those are some underlying numbers that we like to see. However, shooting percentage is way high. It's almost 10% over his career best. Uh, He's only at 4.66 individual expected goals for also, so he's unlikely to keep outpacing his expected goals by an additional 150%. Uh, And this is taking his excellent high-danger chances into account. So, uh I don't see this as being something that will continue for j g unfortunately, but enjoy it while it lasts. I would recommend trying to sell high on him right now. He's ranked twenty seventh overall in cupful, and while I think he's probably going to be radioactive among the folks who. Uh, are paying close attention, why not offer him up for someone like Braden Shen, who's ranked number 42, Bo Horvat, who's ranked 66, or Jonathan Marcheseau, who's ranked at 72, all of whom I imagine will end the season with more points than Pajot. I put out a more modest offer, a couple more modest offers in Cucupful, and it seems like people are not biting. Um, But if I were in a less competitive league, you know,
1: shoot for the stars, man. Yeah, I'm with you. I would take any of those players over Peugeot, honestly. I looked at this year's shot rate and his shooting percentage over the last three years and tried to project sort of what a nice baseline would be for Peugeot moving forward. I see him finishing the season with like 45 to 50 points, Way more likely to me than him finishing up with like his sixty plus pace that he's looking at. So to me, I am more than happy to start selling. If you can get seventy points plus for someone who's got eleven goals this early, I say go for it. it's there's no chance that he has another week even remotely similar to the one that he's had uh, the last you know ten or eleven days. So i I'd sell high on Peugeot. I'm with Lewis here. We're going to move on to a, an update on a story we talked about on Wednesday's show. It was announced that Sidney Crosby is out for six weeks or more after successfully undergoing core surgery to uh, fix a hernia. Unfortunately for the McCann owner, who probably went to go scoop him up as a result of the Sidney Crosby news, it looks like those lines have changed. Is that right, Lewis?
0: Yeah, so uh, we looked at the update from practice today, and it shows McCann lining up with Cahoon and Simone on his wings. Uh, So that's obviously not the exposure we were hoping to get to guys like Gensel or maybe Galchenyuk. Uh, So yeah, I think that's an area of concern for those who picked up McCann. But uh, talking to Elon, he suggested, you know, it's unlikely that These lines will last too long before that Steel City Blender starts to take them apart again. So if you did pick up McCann, hang in there and see what happens. Uh, You know, you've already made the move, so you might as well run them out there for at least the next game. So that top line appears to be Rust, Malkin, and Gensel, which is really nice for both Rust and Gensel. Malkin is certainly an upgrade at center compared to what you would get from McCann. But for now, McCann uh, looks to be maybe in a more modest position, at least for the time being.
1: Yeah, not a lot to say here, really. Just wanted to kind of keep an update on the stories we were talking about on our previous show. Uh, With that in mind, moving forward, John Klingberg is out for the next couple of weeks. And the assumption was that Miro Haskinen would be the beneficiary and get a chance to lay claim to that power play one spot. And yet, Dallas has decided to split the talent between those two top power play units. The de facto number one unit is featuring Sagan and Radulov, also featuring Radic Faxa, Justin Dowling, and Essa Lindell. Heiskanen is on the second unit, and he's it's a bit of a geriatric unit, honestly, between Jamie Benn, Pavelski, Corey Perry, and then the relatively young Denis Garionov. I don't really know what to say about this, except that Heiskanen's unit really reminds me of kind of the opposite of that Chicago power play that had Jonathan Taves and four rookies, but it's Haskinen in a group with four olds. So having said that, Haskinen did get in on the Stars' only power play goal in Wednesday's contest, and so I'm wondering, are we off the Haskinen breakout train, and should we be rushing to grab Esselendelk?
0: I'm not so enthusiastic about Lindell. Uh, You know, we hear so much about how Haskinen really is the future of the position for Dallas uh, in that spot, uh, alongside probably Klingberg. It almost appears like kind of the uh, Ghost Bear-Proverov setup where you've got a more defensively responsible player who's sort of on the rise and the offensively responsible but maybe defensively suspect Player who is a little bit on the outs, although Klingberg obviously it's an injury as opposed to just a failure to produce. I think that ultimately uh, Haskin is going to be the player that you're going to want to have there. Azel Lindell certainly could be an interesting ad. You know, many people have that last defenseman who's not doing a whole lot for them, and so it could be a good spot to stream in. But if you're holding Haskin, and there's no reason not to continue to hold him, this is a really talented guy. And like you said, he got in on the power play goal. Uh, last night. So I think you stay the course with Haskinen.
1: Yes, and we are recording this on Thursday night. And so as tribute to our good pal Elon, I'm going to give you guys a Thursday night update. Justin Dowling has scored a goal for the Stars as they are playing against Vancouver right now. Uh, That goal was assisted by Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benz. So maybe Justin Dowling worth a look while he's playing with Sagan on the power play and at even strength. I'm not against it if you have space for a stream. Uh, Lewis, we are about to get into our final segment of the night, and that means that we are going to do our second Philly heat of the show. Folks, I'm going to go first. I apologize if things get a little bit dicier from here on out. All right. Well, in the meantime, I'm happy to vamp here a little bit. Uh, Some folks that you could be
0: potentially keeping an eye on uh, who have been showing us some, you know, Elon-style Thursday night success here. What an outstanding offensive effort by tampa bay against the relatively hapless looking rangers i'm saying this right now because i know that ben can't respond at the moment while he's completing his philly heat so yes we got a couple of philip goals in there but nice to see tampa bay really right the ship and start to get back on track for us a little bit
1: lewis get off the <laughs> mic it's your turn to hit this philly heat and i am here to rebut uh yeah my rangers are pretty terrible and um Honestly, everything feels a little bit more right in the world watching Tampa Bay crush a team that's supposed to be at the bottom of the league. I read a tweet today that said that if the Rangers were to win tonight in regulation, the Lightning and the Rangers would have even records on the season. That's just something my brain isn't capable of comprehending. So I appreciate the Rangers going out there and losing for my sanity's sake. Alright, so we are ready for our next segment. This
0: is going to be the Patron 5. We previewed this in episode 1 and did a little mini version that we called the Patron 3. We surveyed our patrons on the Keeping Carlson Facebook page, got their input about players that they were interested in hearing about, and selected the top five, and we're going to do a rundown of these
1: interesting fantasy hockey players now. All right, so Lewis, we're going to start at number five. This was the fifth most interesting player as voted on by the Keeping Carlson patrons. Of course, if you want to become a patron, join the discussion, come hang out with Lewis, Brian, Elon, and myself. Also, our good pal, Jade Bettine. You can join at keepingcarlson.com slash Patreon. Lewis, why don't you tell the folks who number five was on this week's Patron 5?
0: New Jersey certainly seemed like a goalie tandem heading into the year, with plenty of people, myself included, thinking that progress in his recovery from hip surgery could lead to a Schneider renaissance. I went as far as picking him up in the cuckupful as my second goalie but this hasn't played out the way that uh, those of us who were Schneider stands at the beginning of the season expected. As our old pal, Jade, pointed out, Schneider hasn't had a quality start all season long. This looks like Blackwood's net to lose for this foreseeable future. The question is, is this a guy that's going to be worth rostering behind a problematic Devils team? There are some reasons to think that the Devils may be Uh, A decent team to hold the goalie for, especially if we think Blackwood is out of the tandem and has asserted himself at least as a 1A to Schneider's 1B, if not taking the one mantle totally on himself. Uh, New Jersey has the second lowest high danger chances against on the PK, so they seem to be really solid there. They're more middle of the pack at even strength, but middle of the pack, I think, is not so bad considering how we sort of thought about the Devils potentially Uh, as their season started to unravel a little bit right at the outset. Blackwood's 808 even strength, high danger save percentage is kind of right in line with what we would expect uh, with the number of goals that they have given up, uh, 30 goals on 150 high danger chances. Um, But he has allowed three more even strength goals against than the average goalie would, facing shots of similar danger. That only puts him 19th among the 22 goalies who have played at least 500 minutes this season. But, you know, if your leave count save percentage, I think Blackwood is someone you may want to leave on the waiver wire. But if you get points for saves, this is a guy who's been reliably positive with only one negative point game in cook-up full scoring in the last month. So he's a low ceiling option if you need to take advantage of your goalie slots, averaging about 3.75 points per game. That's not so bad all things considered. Uh, so this is someone that you may want to investigate or if you have him already hold on to as someone who can be relied on to provide you with a few points per game and you know not be someone who's going to give up major negatives.
1: Yeah, and of course, the Cuckupful is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, a league that was started by Brian and Elon, who wanted to kind of create the Ultimate Fantasy League Populated only by the most dedicated owners, and that is a points league that counts .35 points for a save, minus two for a goals against, and two points for a win, and an additional two points for a shutout. So to have uh, positive points in almost all of your games definitely is the mark of a useful available goaltender. So I'm with you, Lewis. I definitely think Blackwood is an interesting player. And I think the fact that he's on so many waiver wires right now is just kind of a testament to how slowly the Devils started out. I think they're riding the ship a little bit. I think that at this point, he's pretty clearly the starter. And so if having a starting goaltender makes a difference in your league and he's on the wire, I think you need to grab him. So number four on the patron five is Ricard Raquel, who just scored a goal in Thursday night's game. So, you know, already he's starting to see some bounce back from what the patrons may be expected. Um, So before the season started, Brian and Elon have done a keeping Carlson almanac to sort of try and project all of the players across the league who are fantasy relevant. And they put between them Uh, Ricard Raquel at about a 68-point pace. Before tonight's game, Raquel was on a 45-point pace on the season. So fantasy owners were definitely hoping for a little bit more when they added him originally. Um, So far on the season... Five goals, six assists, and 11 points through the 20 games, not counting tonight. Uh, He's on pace for just under 230 shots and about 100 hits. So that's about average for him on a peripheral level. Uh, At even strength, he's playing with Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg, and they are shooting the lights out, while Raquel has been eh, about average by shooting percentage. His IPP is a touch low, and I'd say he is due an extra point or two at even strength, but nothing wild, like nothing that screams regression at even strength. What isn't average about his numbers, though, is the zero power play points through 20 games. So Raquel has lost a bit of his ceiling, thanks to a demotion to a second power play unit that features Henrik, Silverberg, and Troy Terry. But even still, you'd assume that uh, Ricard Raquel would have a few power play points to this point, So in fact, if you regress his points per 60 on the power play from the last three years to the 45 power play minutes we've seen from him this year, I think you would expect that Ricard Raquel would have about three more power play points on the year. And so I think Raquel's pace so far is actually unsustainably low. I'd say he should have about 16 points through his first 20 games, which would put him on a pace for about 66 points. And I think that's what I'd expect from him in the long term. I think that kind of makes Ricard Raquel an interesting buy low option. Louis, would you uh, you mentioned John Gabriel Peugeot earlier? Would you ship him out for Ricard Raquel? Buddy, we didn't write this down in our document, but you read my mind. I was just going to
0: say this is definitely someone that I would be interested in sending a Peugeot offer out for as he has slumped a little bit. Now, obviously, him scoring this evening uh, here on Thursday night throws a bit of a wrench in that plan, but you may still be able to do it. You know, he has as many total points as Peugeot has goals alone, so he should be ranked quite high in your overall rankings and it might make for an
1: appealing option. Yeah, I definitely think there are some leagues where you'd be able to flip Peugeot for Ricard Raquel, and that's a trade I'd be willing to do. Uh, On the sense of us being on the same page, though, I think that might just be the Philly Heats kicking in. (laughs) Why don't you give the folks our number three in the patron five ranking? All right, so they asked about Shea Theodore, and
0: this is a fascinating case. I can't really explain how strange this sort of is. So Shea Theodore... Really interesting because he right now is running about 80% of the Knights' power play, at least over the last three games. He played every second of the power play in the Knights' most recent game. Despite averaging around 21 minutes a night, this is a guy who has just two points over the last month, 14 games. Both of these are assists, one at even strength, one on the power play he's only had a point on a third of the goals that Vegas has scored on the power play. And this is his second worst power play IPP of his career thus far. So you would hope that he would be able to get in on a couple more of those power play goals. Overall, uh, Vegas is shooting about 12% on the power play with Theodore on the ice and only a little better when he's off. And that's only good for 19th in the league is maybe because they are 28th in the league and high danger chances on the power play. So Whatever they are doing on the power play right now, it seems to be struggling a little bit. So despite the fact that Theodore is on both power plays ostensibly right now, uh, he's not really getting a whole lot of opportunity in terms of the Knights being able to produce some really high quality chances to score. It also doesn't help that his even strength IPP is the worst of his career at 27%, another spot where you think that he could regress a little bit and record some more assists at even strength. But overall, right now, he's only one power play goal behind his individual expected goals and right on for his one even strength goal. So that's not great. Basically, they expect him to have two goals overall, and he's at one despite the fact that he's taken 48 shots so far this season. Still, I think ultimately this is someone that you've got to hold on to unless there's a really nice option on the waiver wire. He's shooting less than half his career shooting percentage and seeing the best deployment that you could ask for. I think if he's replaced on the power play, this is someone that you panic and drop right away potentially. Uh, But until then, I think you have to hold on despite his lack of production. You've got to imagine that the Knights are going to figure things out on the power play and he's going to get in on a few more of those points because his individual points percentage, both at even strength and the power play, are lower than you would want to have from him. So I think there are more points in store.
1: Yeah, I do like Shea Theodore, especially if you know, you're looking at your waiver wire and there's no one getting any power play time on ice. Uh, he's obviously not going to be a... You know, uh, Alex Petrangelo racking up a thousand blocks or he's not going to be a Roman Yossi, you know, hitting and blocking and racking up the points on the power play. But there's no reason why he can't put up an above average point pace when he's getting this much time with Mark Stone and Jonathan Marcheseau. I almost said Jonathan Marcheseau. These Philly Heats might be getting to me, bud. Uh, So I definitely wouldn't be dropping Shea Theodore as long as there are no other power play one defensemen on that waiver wire. If you're in a shallow enough league where, you know, you're looking at it and there might be um, an Oscar Clefbaum, someone like that on the wire, I could see streaming... And I mean, Clefbaum isn't hot himself at the moment, but I would understand streaming Theodore out right now if you had a a great option on the power on the waiver wire. But in most leagues, I think he's a whole. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We are going to jump up to number two on the patron five. And this is one of the. Uh, Most interesting bounce-back candidates coming into the new season, it's Vincent Trocek in Florida. So Brian and Elon pegged him for a 63-point pace. And so far, with the two goals that he scored tonight, which probably go a long way to alleviate some concerns that patrons are having, is on pace for 55 points, still a decent enough downgrade that it's worth chatting about Trocek. Interestingly, Trocek was playing on a line with Brian Boyle tonight, and he was playing on the wing which could be fantastic for his owners in the long term. If he could get a, a left-wing status, he'd become so much more interesting as a fantasy option. However, it also means he's playing with Brett Connolly and Brian Boyle at even strength, when you'd probably hope that he's going to get one of Hoffman, Huberto, or Dadanoff in that spot. So I'm not really into that, but I would imagine that it's not long before uh, Vincent Trocek becomes the de facto second center in Florida and he gets back some of his prolific line mates. Uh, What I am a bit more worried about is Trocek's power play usage. It's fallen significantly from that 2017-18 season when he hit 75 points. And without that top power play spot with the big guns, I think his ceiling is more like 65 it's more likely to me that he's in the 55 to 60 point range. I'm honestly not too worried about Trocek right now. He's still shooting. The puck isn't really going in, which should regress. Overall, I expect him to keep it up around at this pace, unless they shuffle him back up the power play ranks. So I do like this 55 point pace for him, and I think he has upside for more. Does that kind of uh, jive with your expectations, Lewis? Yeah, and I think you're right on, Ben. We've already seen some of that regression
0: start to take place. Trocek put six shots on goal against Winnipeg this very evening here on Thursday night uh, and managed to slip two of them past Laurent Brassois. So he's already showing that he is capable of scoring at a little bit of a faster pace than he's shown us so far this season. And I think too, this is someone that you're going to be hard pressed to keep out of the top six
1: once he really gets going. Louis, I really think that we should leave the French pronunciations to me being a Canadian from, you know, Acadia. I'm not from Acadian, New Brunswick, but I am from New Brunswick, the only bilingual province. So moving forward, we'll just uh, dub me saying Laurent Brassois instead of you. How's that? Laurent Brassoit. (laughs) Uh, We are going to finish off the patron five with a player who has been somewhat mercurial this season. And last, uh, we're going to chat about Matt Dumba. So Brelon projected him for a 54 point pace coming into the season. And so far he's well underachieving expectations with a 35 point pace. The good thing with Matt Dumba is he's more or less consistent with last season's blocks hits and penalty minutes rates. So if you're in a bangers league, you know, he's definitely below expectations, but, uh, he hasn't been useless. So that's, that's the good news. Uh, there is plenty to worry about here though. So I'm just going to come out and say it. I do think Dumba is trending towards bust territory. First of all, his shot rate. So last year Dumba was pacing for nearly three shots per game That number has dropped significantly from a 238-shot pace last year to a 168-shot rate this year. And most of this drop-off seems to be coming from the power play. The power play is the second scary thing about Dumba in general. So on the team level, there's been a significant fall-off. Last year, the Wild were an average team by expected goals 4 per 60 on the power play in the 32 games where Matt Dumba was in the lineup. But this year, they've become a bottom five team in the same statistic. So the power play just hasn't been as effective at even getting chances, much less converting them. And then on an individual level, Dumba has also been struggling. He went from shooting 22 shots per 60 minutes with the man advantage last year, all the way down to 12 this year. Part of Dumba's appeal this draft season was his high goal scoring rate for a D-man, and I'm, I'm kind of worried because the ceiling is totally gone in that sense unless he starts shooting a heck of a lot more. The final thing that I'm worried about with Dumba is that, if anything, his percentages actually look a little bit high. So at even strength, his IPP and shooting percentages are both at a career high. His on-ice shooting percentage is more or less in line what you'd expect. I do think Dumba is capable of beating this 35-point pace, but two things need to start happening there. First of all, he needs to start shooting a lot more, especially on the power play. And second of all, that power play needs to start clicking. So in Minnesota, they've kind of, like a lot of rebuilding teams tend to do, they've been splitting the power play units. They've been splitting the personnel, the the t- the high-end personnel between the two units. I would like to see Minnesota overload a top unit with, you know, Parise, Zucker, Stahl, and Dumba. And then moving forward, I think that we could see a lot more potential from Dumba. Until we start to see that, though, I'm kind of in bust territory with Matt Dumba. I don't know that you're going to get a lot for him, but... If you can sort of use his name value to dangle him out there, I wouldn't be opposed to selling him as a 50-point defenseman because I don't know that I see him hitting last year's heights. Yeah, if you can
0: find someone who is considering Dumba to be the type of player that we hoped he would be as a potential 20-goal scorer from the blue line, a lot of folks had him predicted as the highest-scoring defenseman in terms of goal quantity in the league and he certainly has let us down in that regard i'm glad you brought up the power play just using our most recent example we've seen dumba be about in line with in terms of power play time on ice with brad hunt jared spurgeon and ryan Suter, and he wasn't able to get in on any power play points this evening so i, I agree i think that power play time is being much more evenly distributed which should be of concern to dumba owners
1: All right, Lewis, that has been the Patron 5. I want to thank everyone for listening while you do your final Philly heat of the evening. Uh, Folks, we are brought to you by Keeping Carlson. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash Carlson. I hope to see you in the patron group soon. You can follow Lewis and I on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ice. My name is Ben Burnett. I'm going to hop on this last Philly Heat, and Lewis is going to take us home.
0: Ooh, all right. Three Philly Heats in. We want to thank Fantrax, Yahoo, Natural Stat Trick, and Left Wing Lock for help with our research for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in to Keeping Carlson Presents, the Short Shifts podcast. Play smart and keep your shifts short. Thanks, everybody.